go, here we go. Uh, welcome to Advent 2. Here, O Lord God, our Heavenly Father, who through your Son has revealed to us that heaven and earth will pass away. We beg you now, keep us steadfast in your word, keep us in true faith, guard us from sin, preserve us from all temptations, so that our hearts may not be overcharged with the cares of this life, but with watchfulness and prayer. We await your Son and joyfully cherish the expectation of our eternal salvation. Through Christ our Lord we pray. Amen. Amen. Okay, good to see you all. There's so much cooking. Uh, Advent was oversubscribed, I heard. We'll, uh, we had no idea that 200 people would show up the first Wednesday after COVID, but that was great. It felt normal. We will uh, have enough food for you this week. Don't worry, don't worry, but it'll all be, it'll all be, uh, it'll all be good if you just show up again. So please come back for Advent. Then Christmas sharing has been, uh, you wouldn't you know, figure this out, it's, been a, it's a phenomenal success this year. Now it's all changed around because of COVID, but from Carol Holter, she tells me that with the other churches, we're going to serve 300 families, which is 1,400 people. It's wow. a lot of people. And you know, this is the biggest thing we do during the year. We normally give away you know, forty or fifty or $60,000 just from St. John at this particular thing. We're doing it in cooperation with other people. Carol told me that the volunteering has been strong, but they still need, there's one thing that didn't make it on the list. So Wednesday, if you're available, it's a fairly easy, you know, fun job to um, sort diapers, packs of diapers for families by size and all that kind of stuff. So after Joy Group, so that would be about 1030 on Wednesday. If a couple of people showed up, that would make it good. Otherwise, if you still want to play, um, check the website, check the bulletin today. Sign up, you can come along, but it'll be, it'll be great. We have a lot of people signed up. We have a lot of gifts given. It should be very successful, but it's going to be a lot of people. 1,400 people is a lot of people, even though we're splitting that with three other, two other churches. So there's three churches together. So, you know, there's still time, but, but sign up. Look on the website for that. Uh, what else? Have questions about anything at all that you've got? It feels more and more normal every week. This was very nice this morning. Thank you to the choir, to the musicians, to Peter. It was just, you know, it just feels like the old St. John, the vibe is back. They're still, we're still missing people. Um, but every week, you know, 10 or 15 more people come, you know. But we'll, you know, we'll see what happens anyway. All right, otherwise you're good? Okay, in terms of persistence then, I've given you... The last six pages or eight pages of this handout two times before I'd not gotten there. So then yesterday I was like, okay, I'll write another introduction. But then I held myself back from doing that because I've done that two times already, right? But let me just, I just want to talk generally maybe about how things look. Maybe in the rearview mirror, maybe for the future. You know, maybe factoring in all the anger that was characteristic of us a couple years ago and the fear that's been characteristic characteristic of us even now and to sort of just think a little bit how we got there and then to think a little bit how we can get through so just a couple of things in my mind I remember that the fourth hire at Google this is before Google was anything you all paid attention to or that I you know used I remember that the fourth hire was a librarian which makes great sense because you need somebody to categorize all this data that you gather from the internet right but it makes me wonder whether the fourth hire perhaps should have been a moral theologian. Because the assumption was that people could be open to other people and they could even do that anonymously. 
and they would be beautiful and wonderful and kind and it would all just work out, right? And of course you can see the theological error in that. The original sin has been denied for the last two or three hundred years. So this very, you know, small thing turns out to be a very big thing, that we are sinful to the core. And, you know, when we're face to face, you know, that hinders us or curbs us just a little bit. You know, when we're a little more distant, we're worse. And when we're anonymous and distant, we are horrible, right? So, you know, isn't it interesting that part of our problem is that it was a theological mistake. It was rejection that human beings are sinful, that human beings are corrupt. It was this optimism that if we just turned everybody loose together, life would be beautiful, utopia would be established. It's never happened, and it never will happen. And this is the best experiment there ever was for, to have billions of people connected every day and for things still not to work out. That's just kind of the theological part. The problem, of course, is that it's not so good when everything is wonderful. And when things go badly, when you have a bad contested presidential election, for example, or when you have a a worldwide pandemic, right? When things go badly, it's horrible, right? Because challenge reveals our character. Most folks haven't developed their character very well, especially as the church is pushed farther and farther back. So you get this very honest representation of what people are, and people are horrible, right? So there you go. So the world is finding out what the church has always known. People are horrible, and they only get better by being forgiven. Amen. Right? So... Now, move down a little bit farther. That doesn't solve our normal problem, which is, as I've tried to define it, a problem of love and trust and truth and life. Right? In the Soviet Union, um, before they were more open, the, the, the KGB question always was, who profits by this? Right? Who does this benefit? So when suddenly um, all the centrifuges in Iran don't work, uh, but nobody admits to having done it, who, who profits by that? When the port blows up in Lebanon, who profits by that? When there's the suggestion that there's mass voter fraud in America, who profits by that? Right? When COVID information is put out on the internet, who profits by that? And I'm not making a decision. I'm just saying it's been put out one way and then another way. Who profits by that? We should learn from people who grew up in totalitarian societies what to do and how to think when you know, a society gets tamped down. I think everybody would agree we've been tamped down in some sense, um, for better and for worse. I mean, I don't mean it, in, I mean it in the way that some people think that's better, some people think that's worse. Okay. But this question of who profits by it um, will help you kind of think about it. That's how our Russian pastors, for example, think about the news flow in Russia, what they believe and what they think about. It's a very helpful diagnostic question. I've tried to give you another question over the past few weeks, which is this question. Um, What do people want from you? Right? Do they want to help you or hurt you? Do they love you or do they hate you? 
Now, one of the really interesting things for me in listening to all of you is I am startled by the people that you trust. Now, here's the thing. I'm going to admit this to you. I am a horrible crowdsourcer. I am a terrible social media guy. Because I live and die by this. None of us is as dumb as all of us. <laughs> so if you ask a lot of people who don't know anything, what you're going to get is a lot of nothing, but amplified. I'm an expert believer. I'm a reasonable person believer. When I go to the emergency room, I just don't walk in and say, hey, I would like the first guy I see, whether it's a janitor or a cardiac surgeon, to look at me. I'm just telling you, I'm going full on for the cardiac surgeon. I just want you to know that, even if I have a sore throat. Because <laughs> none of us is as dumb as all of us. We somehow think that if we put a lot of dumb people in the same place, truth emerges? Huh. So I always ask myself, why are you believing the people that you, you just met somebody on the internet? This video has slimed up from the darkness. Yes, it, it has been, you know, professionally produced because people who want to do this actually know what makes you tick. Eric, you know, in the last few weeks, Eric Schmidt and Kissinger and another guy have written a book, a prof from MIT have written a book. And one of the things that Eric Schmidt says in the book is people click outrage seven times more than good news on the internet. Click and share outrage seven times more. Now, we already knew that because long ago, far away, you knew if you ever got in any managerial position, somebody told you that it took 10 attaboys to contra contradict one aw shucks, right? Somebody told you that in terms of managing people. You already knew this. Or, you know, you have... You know, you have 10 stocks that go up 25% and you have one that goes down 30%. You could do the math. You're still made hundreds of thousands of dollars. And yet, what do you think about when you go to bed at night? It's because we're wired. Here's the reason why. We are wired to avoid danger. So here's the thing. You could like look, you know, you're in the desert and you see like 10 ponds of water. It doesn't get you going that much. There's 10 of them. You know what your mind is really wired into? the lion that's coming up behind you. Because that's the mistake you made. Or I'll give you a real live mistake. Truth, I don't think I'd care if I tell this story. Pete Ladick, you know Pastor Ladick? His grandfather fought in World War II for the Croatians. Um, at one point, they found themselves surrounded, Russians on one side, Americans on the other, no way out. So this is all about who you trust and what you think. And the commanding officer came to them and said, we're surrounded, there's no way out, we're not going to fight anymore. Every one of you is free to choose. This is a true story. Every one of you is free to choose. You can give yourself up to the Americans or you give yourself up to the Russians, but we're all given up, right? This is not unlike the internet, where you've met some new people and things could go good or bad. Okay. Whom do you trust? You can go to the... So they all chatted, you know, and some people went to the Americans, and those people were put in a POW camp. Pete's grandfather said, yeah, 
yeah, the Russians, we're kind of Eastern here in Croatia, they've been okay. And I knew a little Russian. He said, I'll give ourselves up to the Russians. They took all the guys who gave themselves up to the Russians into the woods, had them dig their own grave, and shot them in the back of the head. It's a question about whom you trust. Who benefits by this? Whom do you believe? And the choices you make are stark. You might not think all the stuff that you're believing makes a difference. It makes a huge difference. It alters the course of your life, right? Which is why this text then becomes so important and why the church becomes so important. Because it works like this. It works like this. Love, truth, I'm sorry, love, trust, truth, action. That's how it works. So if you can't tell who loves you, or if you swoon when somebody, you know, calls and says they're from the Social Security Administration, they'd like to double your benefit if only you could give them your routing number, your Social Security (laughs) number, your phone number, and your address. If that makes you swoon, your life's not going to be very good, right? Love. Who benefits by this? Or, as I put it to you the last couple of weeks, would you rather pick A, somebody who wants you to die for them, or B, somebody who will die for you? The crucifixion, right? Who loves you? Does that engender your trust? And then, how does that change your life? Well, that's exactly what happens in the high priestly prayer, in Jesus' high priestly prayer. So, um, I'm going to make it. I'm going to make it by the time that big hand hits the nine. You should turn to number six, okay? Here we go. So this question now of love and trust and truth and life, okay? Love and trust and truth and life, right? So one of the things that Jesus does for you is that Jesus prays for you, which is a startling thing. We don't think about this very much at all. We always talk about praying to Jesus. In fact, there was that great bead quote today in the bulletin by the prayers, you know, some of this stuff, it comes back and you go, ah, I hadn't thought about that for a couple of years, but God is just waiting for you to pray so he can give you what you ask. Isn't that a great quote? The venerable bead, you can go touch his coffin at Durham. He's in the cathedral. God's just waiting for you to ask and then he'll give you, you know, he's just waiting around to see what you're interested in. With his prayers, Jesus shows how different he is from everybody else. With his prayers, Jesus shows him how different he is from everybody else on the internet, everybody else on the news, everybody else who's trying to get your money. You know, what do people want from you? You should be asking that question. When people talk to you, what do they want from you? What do people want from you? Are they going to benefit or are you going to benefit? Right? Are they, do they, are they going to give you something or are they going to take something away from you? you just kind of think this through. If we read this high priestly prayer in John 17, you can find out what Jesus wants to give you. So you can look at it in a Bible if you want, but I've given you the pieces kind of line by line here. You don't have to look it up. So John 17, Jesus lifted up his eyes to heaven and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son and your son will glorify you. Let your son may glorify you. So it's time now. Jesus, all through John's gospel, the hour is when big things happen. You remember at the wedding in Cana, John 2, Mary comes to Jesus and said, make more wine. Jesus says, my hour's not yet come. 
15 chapters later, he says to his father, time's up, here we go. My hour has come. This is the moment, okay? So in the moment that is going to start here and finish with the resurrection, in the moment, what does uh, Jesus say when the hours come? The hours come, glorify your son that your son may glorify you. Since you've given him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you've given him. This is very thick stuff. But let me see if I can just kind of pull, pull the strings apart. This is about love and about life. So glory is this word for what's valuable. This I've got it just below there, doxa. Like doxology, right? Glory is this word for what's valuable or what's weighty or what's holy. And uh, Jesus finds his glory in obedience. And obedience is just love in action, right? So Jesus says to the Heavenly Father, okay, it's time. I'm all in. You love me. I love you. I'm ready to do exactly as you tell me because you love me and I trust you and we have this relationship between us, and it'll end up in eternal life. That's all packed in there, right? You glorify me, you love me, I'll glorify you, I'll obey you, because you've shown your love by giving me authority. Now, we always think of authority as forcing people. Authority here means, um, authority means, authority is like an ambassador going to do a president's bidding. He can only say what the president gives him to say, no more, no less. If he says more or less, he's unfaithful. That's what authority is. Authority is to do the job that he's been given to do. So you gave me a job. You love me. You gave me a job. Because you love me, I'm going to do the job. Because you love me, I trust you. And this is going to shake out in eternal life. Now look at the next line, verse 3. And this is eternal life, that they know you as the only true God. There you go. Trust, knowing, and truth, true God. So eternal life comes because you know, and knowing here doesn't mean like book knowledge. It means you personally experience. You've been loved. You've been seen something beautiful. There was a quote a few weeks ago where uh, Pope Benedict said, you know, seeing something beautiful is a much more powerful per- per- reason for believing than uh, a rational argument, right? So, or, you, I mean, here's the thing. You've all been loved. I pray you've all been loved in a way when you said, um, I can't even explain it. Why would you go with those? They love me, and I, I can't even explain it. But I, what, what people do to me, you know, the way they love me, the way they care for me, I can't even explain it, but I would do anything for them. I pray you've had, you know, at least one experience like that in your life, a really dear friend or somebody who really cared for you and loved. If you could just think for a moment, somebody you know in a pinch would never do you wrong. Right? Can you, have you got a friend like that? Can you think about that? Your spouse, a child, a friend, somebody you, you would trust your life to them. They would put you first. That's what this means. And this is what 
the Father does for the Son. This is what the Son does for the Father. This is what the Father does for you. This is what the Son does for you. And eventually, it's what you do back. Right? So this is eternal life, that they know you. So how do you get eternal life? Now we'll just work backwards. Remember, it goes love, trust, truth, life. Now we'll work backwards. How do you get life? That they know you as the true God. Love, trust, truth, life, life, truth, trust, love. Do, 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 do. And it doesn't have to be linear every time. You know, sometimes you start with truth and it comes back to love and then it loops forward to life and then it comes back. You know, but these things, love, trust, truth, life. This is life that they know you as the true God, truth, and Jesus whom you have sent, Jesus and the ones who love them, so that you know him, Jesus whom you sent, and know means that you've experienced and you trust him. So this is really simple. Jesus comes. Remember John 1. He comes to his people and his people knew him not, but for those who knew him, he was light and he was love. He was life, right? This is the story of Christmas. We'll read this on Christmas Day. So eternal life comes from knowing, from experiencing, from being touched, from being embraced by God. And the word truth is what's genuine. So this is just so easy, right? I mean, what's real, real? Even, the, even when we talk about this, and this isn't to down it, but just to observe it, Reality versus virtual reality. Even in the name of it, even when you read about the metaverse or the omniverse, even when you think about this, it's not the same as physical touch. It doesn't mean it's bad. It just means it's not the same as. Right? In some sense, it's imitation. In some sense, it's, it's um, you know, like I just saw, you know, if you're looking for a Christmas gift for me, I just saw, you know, hologram of Frank Zappa playing in front of, from the live musicians for a concert. How many of you getting Frank Zappa tickets for Christmas? Come on, who's with me? <laughs> yeah, see, that's the problem, because this is why I'm old and my time is up, because nothing I've heard or nothing I've seen, you know, makes sense to you. You're all 12 years old, okay. <laughs> but Zappa was a genius, although he was, you know, even you like Zappa, come on, just a little bit. No, okay, see, that's the problem right there. <laughs> it's not really Frank. So I glorified you on earth. This is the bottom of the page. I accomplished what you gave me to do, right? So I loved you. I trusted you. I obeyed you. I accomplished what you gave me to do. And now do it back to me. Love me, trust me. Give me life strange, strange prayer from a guy who knows he's going to be crucified. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence. Love me, touch me, stick with me, so that I can live in holiness as I go forward. I'm turning the page. And the end is this great Greek word, telos, which we get telescope from, right? Telos is not just crossing the finish line, but it's like crossing the finish line as you win the Boston Marathon and you get the Nike sponsorship and you get the cash and the wreath, you know, and it's the world's best time ever. You know, that's what it is. It's like this great fullness of, 
you finish with a flourish. Everything comes together. Everything you've always hoped for, you know, everything you do comes together and you play the Iowa Hawkeyes and it's 42 to 3 when you wake up in the morning. Just check it for Michigan fans. Just check it. That was a little backhanded thing there. I grew up in Iowa, so I apologize to you Iowa folks. Okay. Number six. I have manifested your name. I've revealed you. So, and this is, this is just the internet. You love me. I trust you. I talk about you. Nothing new under the sun. Manifest means reveal, which means tell people, which means show it up, which means post it. That's all this means. Love, trust, truth, life. I've manifested your name to the people you gave me out of the world. So I love you back. I obeyed you. I told them about you. Now they trust you. Now they love you. Now they're willing to do what you ask of them. So 11, 10 of the 11 disciples who are left, you know, are martyred. Only John survives. A remarkable kind of love. Now they know that everything, middle of the page, verse 7, now they know, right, they trust, they've experienced. So I loved them, and now they know, trust, experience, have personal, have had a personal encounter with. Now they know that everything you gave me is from you. I gave them the words that you gave me, and they received them. And there it is again. And they know truth, right? They know in truth that I came from you, and they believe me. So you talk to them, you talk lovingly to them. They enjoyed that. It was an experience they'd never had before to, for somebody to say, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, whether you're Jew or whether you're Gentile, without doing anything, while you are still sinners, Christ came to you, he loves you, he blesses you, you can all come home now. Right? Love <coughs> creates trust. Trust embraces truth. And we live then in that love and trust and truth going forward. So gift given, gift received. This is the stuff of a rabbi. These are the two rabbinical terms. So Jesus was a rabbi, lambano uh, and didamai, paralambano, paradidamai. These are the same words that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians when he talks about the Holy Supper. He's like, this isn't my idea. I delivered what I received from Jesus on the night when he was betrayed, he took bread, right? Same, same. So he's basically saying, don't trust me. Hey, don't trust me, which is another diagnostic, by the way, because almost everybody who posts something to your account says, trust me. You should trust me, right? That's not what Jesus says. Not primarily, not first. Jesus says, you should trust my Heavenly Father. Of course, he says, believe in me. If you believe in me, you believe in him. If you see me, you see him. But it's not the self-interest of do whatever I say. The Son comes for this great revelation. And then this. I'm praying for them or for you. I'm praying for you. I've always wanted to, um, someday, you know, someday if one of you gives me a million dollars, 
I want to start a church maybe in downtown Chicago. What I want to find is, but in a big city, in an urban, in an urban center where everybody's too busy for the baby Jesus, I want to find kind of a broken down but beautifully ornate chapel about a quarter of the size or maybe a sixth of the size of this. And I want to vest and stand on the sidewalk and say to people, may I pray to you? I think this could start a church. May I pray for you? Because people are doing a lot of things to you today. But there aren't that many people who are praying for you. Or an alternate with that, if people are too shy for that, it would be, may I bless you? Almost anybody will let you bless them. I mean, for goodness sakes, every time there's a tragedy, they line up, you know, the shamans and the people who beat drums and the local yogi and then... You know, there's always a priest, and if the Lutherans are liberal, they come along too, and then, you know, <laughs> then everybody kind of invokes as if all the gods might show up and fix things, because we screwed it up again. We shot each other, or the bridge broke, or the tornado went through, or pick something, right? Yeah, almost anybody will let you bless them when they feel like things are too big for them to handle. It'd be interesting to see. So, Jesus says, hey, I'm praying for you. If you want to know how Jesus is spending this Sunday, this is what Jesus is doing today. He's praying for you. Pretty good stuff. Now, I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you've given me. So, and you think, shouldn't think of this as like, you should just think about this in order. You have a punch list. You, first you do this, and then you do that. So he comes to the Jews, then he comes to the Gentiles. Just everybody, it'll all work out in good time. So right now, I'm praying for the 12 disciples. I'm praying for the people who are my followers. I'm praying for the 72. I'm praying for the 5,000 who got fed, you know. Praying for those people who saw me walk on the water but didn't quite know what was happening. Praying for those 10 lepers we met at Thanksgiving. I'm praying for you. I'm not praying for the whole world, but I'm praying for the ones you gave me. After all, mine are yours and yours are mine, and when I love them, you love them, and you love them, I love them. You see how the community aspect works. And now you remember that two or three or four or five weeks ago, we talked about how the name devil, diablos, is the word for when things scatter or break apart. And hell is this place where you're left alone. Right? And what does Jesus pray for? That you'd all be together. Right? That you'd all be together in heaven. Now, and it's kind of partly about the title of this whole thing, and I'm no longer in the world, right? I'm otherworldly and I'm going back. But they're in the world, and I'm coming back to you, Holy Father. But when I leave, keep them in your name, the name you gave me that they may be one, even as we are one. And of course, that's the name that got put on you at your baptism. And you remember Revelation 21.4, when they're at the gate to heaven sorting people out, the way they sort them is by what tattoo you've got. You've got either um, the name of Jesus on your forehead. You can look it up, Revelation 21.4. They have the name of Jesus on their forehead or they don't. You're tattooed, that's how you get into heaven. You're tattooed by your baptism with the name of Jesus. Boom, it's easy. It's like, that's how you sort. It's like sorting cattle. You take the ones that have your brand on them. You got Jesus branded on your forehead. 
Revelation 21, 4. When I was with them, I kept them in or inside your name. So I was here. I loved them. I kept them in your name. I guarded them. And this is the, the, this is the double meaning. One is it's the way soldiers have a guard. So around the outside of a fort, for example. Or it's also the way shepherds guard sheep. But either one of them is this very safe, gentle thing. So Jesus said, you know, I came and I, you loved me and I loved them and I gave them your name and I held them close and I protected them from the devil and I'm coming home, but it's all going to be okay because they're all tattooed and they can recognize each other and as long as they hang together and keep loving each other and don't trust the wrong people and don't believe the wrong things, and don't live a sloppy, lazy, sinful life of disobedience, then they'll be fine. Of course, if you and I don't do that, then we're just basically saying, I'm on my own, I'll do what I want. Never quite a good idea. But I would suggest to you, or at least ask you then, why are you so afraid? If this is actually your life, If God made you and God loves you and when you wandered, God came to find you and when he found you, he named you. When he named you, he cared for you and caring for you, he protects you and he shows you the way forward and at some point, everything's going to be just fine again. Why are you so afraid? Why does everybody I know live in anxiety? Why can't people sleep at night? What is wrong with us? What's wrong with us is that we love the wrong things and we listen to folks who have no intention of doing us good and we trust them and follow them and then we wake up and we're in some other life that we don't even recognize. And that life is agitating and strange and fearful and it ruins us and we don't even know how it happened right so it doesn't matter what the rest of the world is doing you don't have to be like everybody else one of the worst things you can do is measure yourself by other people even in the scriptures it says let every man tend his own business i don't line myself up next to you and wonder i'm better than you so i'm better than everybody or my life is worthwhile the scriptures forbid that The life that you're meant to do is to line your life up against the ten words according to the resources that the Lord has given you. And you say, you know, is God my God and do I use his name and do I meet him here on Sunday? And am I happy with what he's given me and do I live within his promises and do I keep it safe so I don't lie and cheat and steal? Am I generous and merciful? And when I do that, doesn't it all work out like this? Aren't my friends here? Can't I trust these people? Isn't inside better than outside? Isn't otherworldly better than worldly? Isn't it true? Who benefits by this? Who's doing me good? Who loves me? Who's interested in me? Who will save me? Right? Those are the questions you should ask. So, 8.13, now I'm coming home to you. Jesus says to his Father, I'm coming home, and I speak these things in the world so they may have joy fulfilled in themselves. 
And this that great word kara. These words are all connected. Kara, which is, comes from karas, the same word. So this is just natural. You know this. Somebody is gracious to you and it makes you happy. This is instantaneous. It's a natural reaction. Somebody is gracious to you, gentle with you, kind to you, generous. Yeah, some, someone karases you, so you respond with kara, with happiness, with joy. Or as we learned years ago, eucharistia, thanksgiving. And those are two separate but related things. You're happy and you're thankful that you're happy, right? I've given them your word. This is middle of the page. I, give, I gave them your word, and now this is just the reality of it, and the world hates them. And so sometimes we think, like, you know, if we think clearly and speak clearly and act clearly in the way of Jesus, in the image of God, then it'll just all work out. Of course, what the miscalculation is, is that the world hates God. The world is the world, and God is otherworldly. The world has gone its own way. John chapter 1, you know, he came to his own people and he knew them not. He came as light in the darkness. He came in love to those who hate. So, you know, we shouldn't be surprised that it is at the same time true and difficult, loving and painful, right? We shouldn't be surprised by this. We shouldn't be surprised by the fact that obedience wounds us. We shouldn't be surprised by that. And we shouldn't be, you know, so self-pitying that we won't receive that as a wound that's bound to the wound of Jesus. Jesus comes, he lives faithfully, he's wounded, he dies. You come, you live faithfully, you're wounded, you die. Easter Vigil, his story is my story. You're living out his story now, in a hostile world that hates you. What's the big surprise? The big surprise isn't that it's happening. The big surprise is that we capitulate to it. As if somehow that world is better than this world. As somehow we're embarrassed to stand up for the things that we should stand up for. You know, for example, the Supreme Court thing right now. I mean, headlines are amazing, you know. What, what, what would the world possibly be like if we didn't abort children? Well, I mean, start with 83 million people who'd be alive today. Start there and move backwards, right? The mark of the demonic in the Old Testament was people who sacrificed their children. Not that this couldn't be forgiven. I'm always reluctant to talk about this because it's prevalent, it's in our families, it's people that we know, it's maybe you, it's maybe me, it's maybe all of us. Okay, here's the thing. Everything can be forgiven, but you have to name it and then you have to wash that in love. But when this is so tender, especially people who have um, you know, been close to this, it takes a lot of love to wash that up. But that's true for all the other things in life too, right? That's true for murder, that's true for gossip, that's true for envy. You know, so we shouldn't be thinking you know, some sins are so much worse than others. Um, yeah. The world hates you because it hated Jesus, right? And this is the word for falling out of love with people. And so it's this gradual thing where you fall out of love and then you don't want to be around them and then you start to shun them and then they must be destroyed. That's all packed into this word hate. Isn't that interesting? Because that's exactly the experience now. You have the chance to 
be like everybody else, and if you're not, the invitations fall off, and then you're unfriended, and then you're erased, and then we have to destroy the enemies we've identified. And this isn't just on one side, this is on all sides. Right? That's not the way of Jesus. So for you, you're intertwined with the Word made flesh, right? And so, verse 15, I don't ask you to take them out of the world. Hey, we're not asking for a quick exit. We're not all going to Mars. I mean, the thing about going to Mars is just the most interesting thing, because what about all of us who are going to get left behind? My Tesla options are way out of the money. I mean, what am I, you know, what does it mean that people... What does it mean that people have to colonize another planet? I'm not against the science of it or even the doing of it. What's the moral implication of we have to go someplace else? What's the theological meaning of that? And who goes first and who gets left behind? I'm fully supported if the weak and the poor, the lame, the halt, and the blind get to go first to the new wonderful place. Then I'm in. I'm in with both feet. But who loves you when they leave you, even for another planet? They are not of the world, just like I'm not in the world. So, here we go, sanctify them, which is make them holy, which is wash them in the blood of Jesus, which is give them the Eucharist, which is baptize them, which is love them in spite of themselves, which is change them, which is teach them to obey, which is listen to their prayers... That's all tucked in, that's all part of holiness, that's all tucked in to sanctify. So you love them, here's the order again, you love them, you love them into the truth, you love them through the truth, you love them through your word, which is the truth, you love them into holiness, you love them through holy scripture, you love them through holy baptism, you love them through holy Eucharist, you love them through holy marriage, through holy word, through the holy things, Right? You love them. They trust you. They live forever. I mean, it couldn't be. It's like reading a script for the world we're living in. Turn the page, because the big hand's on the nine. I'm going to let you sort of go with the rest of this, but you know. You sent me into the world, so I send them into the world. One of the, I'll probably close with this. This is the, my great nervousness. I was thinking this morning about pastors who think of their congregations as participation trophies. Doesn't matter who wins, who loses. We get credit for just showing up. Mission impulse doesn't matter very much. Never talk to anybody about tithing at 10% and giving alms to the poor. Bible study, come if you like church once a month or a couple times a year, but as long as the lights stay on and we sort of muddle through, hey, it's all good, right? Because, you know, we grew up in a world of participation trophies. Even when we were giving those out, that was stupid. It was dumb, (laughs) D-U-M. You sent me into the world, so I send them into the world to get busy. For their sake, I consecrate myself, which means consecrate is the word for I set myself aside, Right? I set myself aside for a special purpose. You consecrated me. I was born of a virgin for a special purpose, to go to the cross, forgive sins, and rise from the dead. I consecrate them. 
They're meant to be the body of Christ on earth and to bring every last wanderer home again. They're meant to get busy. They're meant to do their best, right? In love and maturity and knowledge. Philippians 1. I'm not asking just about these people, so now the scope widens. I'm not asking just for these people. I'm asking you use these people. I'm asking you use these people for those people out there. I don't ask for these only, but for those who will believe in me, which means, and to get the belief, then it means people you have to love and people have to trust you and people have to believe you and people have to follow and people have to live in mercy. So, you know, it starts with me and it starts with you. That they may be one, right? Not diablos, splintered, alone, cold, and dead forever. That they may be one with me and with you, Father, just as I'm in you and you're in me and there in us and everything works out and this is going to be great because 22, the glory you've given me, I've given to them, right? I'm in them, you're in me, that they may become, and there's the bonus prize, perfectly one. So forgiven now and then perfectly one so that, here it is, the world may know that you sent me and you love them. So that the world may know Uh, Just so you know and I know and I benefit and you benefit and we show up and we muddle through and we, you know, we bring it in at the 51st percentile and we tell ourselves that that's okay because the world is a rough place and we'll never get by and we're miserly and so we don't give the way we should and we, you know, don't care about. That's illicit. That is not the church. The world may know that you sent me and that you love them just like you loved me. God loves Jesus, God loves you. God knows Jesus, God knows you. God makes Jesus truth, God makes you truth. God gives Jesus life, resurrection, Easter, God gives you life. Right in a row. Father, this is what I desire, that they may be with me where I am and see my glory. The prayer is that you'd all make it to the eternal Paradise, right? The prayer is that someday you would see it with your own two eyes, stuck back into your head at 2020 after the resurrection. Hey, Father, even though the world doesn't know you, I know you, so let's get busy. I made known, or I let them experience your name, and I'm going to keep letting them experience your name with the love that you used to love me. I'm in them, they are in you. All right, it's not the nine, maybe it's the ten. It could even be the eleven. We got to go. I love you. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, see you Wednesday. See you next week. See you at the altar.